Welcome to the morning after on Sports Grid. It is Sirius XM Channel 204. I'm your host, Ariel Epstein, taking you through noon Eastern time here on the grid. Yesterday, we had a lot going on in Major League Baseball. I know that the NFL is king, and between the NFL and college football, everyone's talking about it. There's so many headlines. There were injuries from last weekend in the NFL. And there's a lot of line movement throughout the course of a week leading up to week two with the overreactions from week one. However, because Major League Baseball is winding down and the playoff picture is heating up, there's a lot to get to from a gambling perspective. Later this hour, we are going to be joined by the Giants beat reporter, Madeline Burke. She's going to tell us some insight into the Giants and Washington football team game tomorrow, Thursday night football. First, my co-host, Ben Stevens, joining me now. Ben, good morning to you. Happy Wednesday. Ariel, it is hump day. It is a huge midweek transaction injury report day across the NFL. We'll bring you the latest updates there. But like you mentioned, it is the playoff push in Major League Baseball. And so many things are happening around pretty much every division right now in Major League Baseball that impact the Wild card races in both leagues. The American League is a toss-up right now for those wild card spots. And the National League keeps changing day by day, getting very interesting, happening here in New York with some very impactful movements last night because of extra innings at City Field. Extra innings at City Field between the New York Mets and the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals were at plus 145, 150 going into the game with the Mets being the home favorites. The Mets end up tying the game in the bottom of the ninth, making it 4-4, which, by the way, uh, when I said to everyone a couple of nights ago after the Ravens game because I had a little bit too much wine and was really depressed but yet still had to handicap games for the show, I said, mm, guys, it's probably best to fade me tomorrow. The problem, Ben, is that the handicap was pretty spot on, and yesterday during this Mets-Cardinals game where I had the under of eight runs, it was 4-3 to three going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and the Mets end up tying the game, sending it to extras. Here's the thing. The St. Louis Cardinals come out on top. And this has been one of the hottest teams in baseball. The Cardinals, who were about three to five games back coming into the month, are now in the second spot for the wild card race after that 7-6 win over the Mets. The Cincinnati Reds, a half game back of the Cardinals. If the season ended today, your National League wild card game would be the Los Angeles Dodgers up against the St. Louis Cardinals, Ben. And one of the interesting things, Ariel, and I had a discussion with my roommate about this last night, is there is such a substantial lead for the Dodgers for that top spot in the National League wildcard race. They have a 17-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who now have that second and final NL wildcard spot. It's almost unfair to make the Dodgers play in that wildcard game. They think there should be a rule instituted in Major League Baseball that if the team that has an advantage in that top spot in whatever wildcard race, if it's more than like 10 games, it really shouldn't be a toss-up in that one-game wildcard game. But we can talk about those rule changes with Rob Manfred at another time. What we need to highlight here is the St. Louis Cardinals, who have now grabbed that second and final National League wildcard spot. The Cardinals have won won four straight games, including a couple of big games in New York against the New York Mets when they needed this postseason push. In fact, the Cardinals also won two to end out their weekend series against the Cincinnati Reds, teams they are competing against 
for that second and final National League wildcard spot. And when you look behind the Cardinals right now, the four teams chasing St. Louis, Philadelphia, New York, as in the New York Mets, the Cincinnati Reds, and the San Diego Padres, all of them have lost at least two games in a row. The San Diego Padres probably being the worst as we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here. We're just getting underway on the morning after. You're listening on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mightier 1090 out on the West Coast with Ariel Epstein. I'm Ben Stevens. We're talking about teams trailing the St. Louis Cardinals now for that second and final NL wildcard spot. And everybody, all four teams trailing St. Louis, has lost at least two games in a row. The Padres, Ariel, have lost five in a row, making it very difficult for these teams to catch St. Louis right now because the Cardinals are playing their best baseball of the year as of late. But when the teams trailing you aren't playing very good baseball, it sets up well. And that's why the Cardinals now hold that second and final NL wildcard spot. Here's what's so messed up about the odds. In the National League playoff picture, to win the National League championship, to win the pennant, the St. Louis Cardinals have longer odds to do it than the Slam Diego Padres, a team that is behind the Cardinals currently in the standings. Odds makers have the Padres at 50 to 1, and the Cardinals are at 55 to 1. The New York Mets, 85 to 1. They have the longest odds, the Mets. Here's a look at the list in case you're watching uh, Dodgers plus 145, Giants plus 330, Brewers plus 360. Braves five to one, then it gets real long from there. The Reds twenty-four to one, the Phillies forty-six to one, the Padres fifty to one, Cardinals fifty-five to one, Mets eighty-five to one. Ben, one, the first thing that stood out, the Giants finally moved up into the second spot. However, the Dodgers still have to play a winner take all wild card game and have the shortest odds by two dollars to win the National League still. Finally. Finally, Ariel, the Giants getting some love in the National League market, getting a little bit of value taken off that plus money number next to their name. They were plus 350 entering play yesterday, a ninth straight win for San Francisco against San Diego of all teams that is really struggling right now. And finally, the Giants stand by themselves for the second shortest odds to win the NL pennant. But I think it's very interesting when you look at the National League pennant odds, because right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook, we do not have make-miss playoff odds up for the postseason push, really, in either league. So you have to compare it to the NL pennant odds. And the Cardinals hold that second and final spot, yet have the fourth longest odds out of all the teams they are being in contention with for that second and final NL wildcard spot. Look at the pennant odds to get a picture of how the postseason might look in the National League. Odds makers aren't buying this Cardinals run. They're also not buying the Mets or the Padres. Coming up next, we're going to talk NFL. Some breaking news that's going to affect the odds. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're back on the morning after on Sports Grid. It is Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens and Ariel Epstein. This hour, we're pretty much just going baseball, football, baseball, football. We're going to go through some of the headlines that could impact the odds coming up this weekend. The most notable in the last 24 hours has become the New Orleans Saints. The Saints have eight positive COVID cases, including one player. The rest were trainers, a nutritionist. However, it still impacts the team. 
The team has to quarantine. The team isn't doing in-person meetings. Everyone's apparently going to be tested before leaving. And it's just going to be a very different week for the Saints compared to their opponent, who's going to be able to just play, uh, to just practice like normal all week, the Carolina Panthers. That game going to be played in Charlotte, in North Carolina. And Ben, not only is it COVID issues, it's defensive injury issues too. Hmm. Mike Garofolo of NFL Network said that after the huge win, the Saints are now looking banged up. Their center, Eric McCoy, is expected to miss time with a calf strain. And this is in addition to their defensive end, Marcus Davenport, and their cornerback, Marshawn Lattimore. Lattimore had to get a procedure done on his thumb. Ben, how concerned are you for the Saints going into this weekend's game against the Panthers? Ariel, I think you bring up a great point. Based on COVID protocols, the Saints will not be in person, at least it seems, for the next couple of days. And don't forget, this is a New Orleans team still not in their home in New Orleans right now. They are practicing in Fort Worth at TCU football's facility. So all of this is very strange. You couple that with what really impacts the Saints on the field, especially defensively, losing a guy like Marcus Davenport on the edge, who is a great part of that Saints front, and especially Marshawn Lattimore, who prior to that huge win, 38-3 over the Green Bay Packers, on Sunday afternoon. Marshawn Lattimore woke up on Sunday a much wealthier man because he signed an extension with the Saints, a five-year deal, nearly $100 million performed so well against the Packers, who picked off Aaron Rodgers twice, who only held the Green Bay Packers to three points, who are the third best total defense in the NFL a season ago, or excuse me, the third best scoring defense in the NFL a season ago, the second best total defense, and held the Green Bay Packers to the smallest total scored by any individual team in week one of this NFL. NFL season and then to lose Marshawn Lattimore who's having surgery to repair a chip bone in his thumb that's going to be a huge knock for the Saints team who is hoping to pull over that success and that momentum week one against the Packers into week two against the divisional foe in the Carolina Panthers who I also think are playing with a little bit of confidence after holding it down against the Jets on Sunday and Ariel here is the fascinating thing when you look at this game between the Saints and the Panthers as of right now the line opened up with New Orleans favored by three on the road in Carolina this upcoming Sunday. It's worked in their favor by a hook. But are you ready for this? 97% of the money, 97% of the betting handle right now is backing the Carolina Panthers against the spread. Against the New Orleans Saints, who just won 38-3 to over the Green Bay Packers. 97% of the money is on the Carolina Panthers right now against the spread. That is mind-boggling numbers. The crazy part is if you think about it from a public perspective, and anyone who's watching the show, including us who's, who, do, who does the show every week, we're always thinking about it. We're always thinking about the upcoming lines. We're thinking about the games. The general public who's working their normal jobs Monday through Friday are not thinking about this game on Sunday until Sunday morning, maybe even Saturday beforehand. That majority of the public is a bunch of bettors who are legitimate and smart and ha are paying close attention to these games. Because I remember before I started in this business, as a public better, all you're doing is thinking about these games the day of. You're not watching them. You're not watching the line moves. All that handle, a majority of it at least, is probably coming from people who follow this on a day-by-day -day basis and want to get the better number. Three and a half is a great number. You're getting it past the field goal. It wouldn't shock me if there's more COVID issues that arise and we either, one, see this game get taken off the board 
or two, we see the New Orleans Saints end up, or the Carolina Panthers, that the line ends up moving more in their favor if this continues to get bet the way it has so far. Still sitting at three and a half, and we'll make sure to keep you posted if there are any changes to the line move and if it goes to even a field goal or less. Now, there are some other updates. The head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, said that the running back Ronald Jones will start Sunday against the Falcons and, quote, he's ready to roll. That game between the Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has the Buccaneers favored by 11 and a half. The total is 51 and a half. Ben. Uh, I understand that the Falcons just lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in week one and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers looked good offensively being able to have the Tom Brady drive at the end of the game to beat the Dallas Cowboys. However, 11 and a half. Really? It seems like a very lofty spread. As we touched on yesterday, there has been tons of line movement from when this opened back at the end of May. It was seven in favor of Tampa Bay. Now got all the way up to 12 and a half, down by a point to 11 and a half. But the Ronald Jones news is slightly significant because although we can expect him to be a factor in this Tampa Bay offense for the entirety of the year, don't forget, in that opener against the Dallas Cowboys after a fumble, Rojo was benched, did not return to the game. So now that he will start in week number two against the Atlanta Falcons is at least a good indication that Ronald Jones is returning to what we can expect him to be. But in that week one opener, unlike there against the Kansas City Chiefs, Ronald Jones only ran the ball four times and only had 14 yards. You see him utilized in the pass game as well. He is an important part of this offense for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. An offense, Ariel, on Thursday night against the Cowboys that only ran the ball for 52 yards. Tom Brady was sprinkling it to a variety of receivers and Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski. But the run game was pretty much not there for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday night against the Dallas Cowboys. I think they're going to try to stress that this upcoming week against the Atlanta Falcons, who, like you mentioned, Ariel, were not good week number one, really offensively, but even defensively against the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's not forget the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the second shortest odds to win the Super Bowl this year at plus 550. They are also the favorites to win the NFC South, a divisional matchup this upcoming weekend against the Falcons. TB is minus 240 to win the NFC South, the second longest odds to win any division in football behind the Kansas City Chiefs, who are minus 250 to win the AFC West. TB, TB, you, you threw me off there. I thought you were going to say he was minus 240 to win the MVP, but then you meant Tampa Bay, not Tom Brady. TB and TB, right. TB, TB and TB12. Ronald Tampa Jones Bay. was... <laughs> Tom Tampa Bay. Ronald Jones was a running back last week in that opener that I really liked his over 13 and a half rush attempts. It was so disappointing to watch Leonard Fournette be the lead back that game. This is typical Tom Brady, though, Ben. You can't bet on running backs when it comes to Tom Brady's teams. Remember the New England Patriots days? You had no idea who the lead back was going to be on a given basis. Whatever he does with his running backs, he's implementing in Tampa Bay. And we're just going to have to be careful and weary of it. But another update from uh, some more headlines. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers got absolutely demolished by the New Orleans Saints in week one. The Saints end up winning 38 to three. Ben, you're funnier than I am. So I'm going to let you mention what Aaron Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show. All right, with our partners at FanDuel and Pat McAfee, of course, Aaron Rodgers makes a weekly Tuesday appearance to talk to Pat and give him a breakdown in a very candid way of what happens on Sundays throughout an NFL season. So Aaron Rodgers said pretty much yesterday on the Pat McAfee show, quote, that one in terms of that first interception he threw on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints, that one was entirely due to the double nut shot I took. That's painful one for sure. So it was a double <laughs> nut shot. 
from Aaron <laughs> Rodgers that led to that first interception against the New Orleans Saints. Maybe it was that that was tough to stomach for Aaron Rodgers that led to a very poor Bench. offensive output out of the top-scoring offense <laughs> in the NFL a season ago. What is interesting to note, Ariel Epstein, Aaron Rodgers on Sunday, 15 of 28, only 133 yards and two interceptions. He only threw five interceptions all of last season. In fact, if you go back to 2019, he only had he had no regular season interceptions in 2019 or no games with two interceptions of in a single game in 2019. Only had two interceptions all of 2018. So it, it was a disastrous and painful start for the Green Bay Packers on Sunday against the Saints. Yeah, literally painful. I did remember listening to some of that Mac V interview with Rogers. Rogers said he received a text message from a friend of his, and his friend said, hey, remember last year when the New Orleans Saints blew out a team? Yeah, that team ended up winning the Super Bowl, and that was in reference to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing 38-3 to to the Saints back in Week 9 of last season. Coming up next, we're making the switch to Major League Baseball. A lot of craziness in the playoff picture. It's impacting the odds, and there were some big upsets yesterday that maybe you got to cash in. You probably didn't bet it, though. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on Sports Grid, it is Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Yesterday in Major League Baseball, there were a few underdogs that prevailed. We mentioned it at the top of the show. However, it's been the biggest flip in regards to the playoff picture. And the St. Louis Cardinals, if the season ended today, would be the second wild card spot in the National League. This coming after the New York Mets even tied the game at four in the bottom of the ninth inning last night. And the Cardinals end up winning 7-6 as a road underdog. The Mets, I would say hero of the ninth, because obviously they didn't win the game, Javier Baez. He hit his fifth career game-tying go-ahead home run in the ninth inning or later. Baez had three of those five come against the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals and Mets went extras at 4-4. And ESPN stats and info with that, by the way. But Javier Baez, five career game-tying or go-ahead home runs, Ben, and three of those against the Cards. Pretty impressive, I guess, to say that he really hates St. Louis. El Mago certainly has played the St. Louis Cardinals a ton in his life. Of course, started his career, most of his career up until the trade deadline this season, was with the Chicago Cubs. They play each other in the NL Central. Of course, Javi with many opportunities to slam it down against the St. Louis Cardinals. Almost did that last night in a very big game for both teams, the New York Mets and the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cards prevailing. They now hold the second and final NL wildcard spot. And the Mets, Ariel, have kind of squandered some opportunities. Of course, we mentioned back in the 
late portion of August, that 13-game span against the Giants and the Dodgers. Well, the Mets only went 2-11 in that stretch, but then it got a little bit easier. They had 14 scheduled games against the Marlins and the Nationals. They only went 8-5 in those scheduled 14 games. One game was postponed. They will play a doubleheader against the Marlins in a series coming up here in just about a week and a half. But they really haven't taken advantage, and even after winning the weekend series in the Subway Series against the Yankees, they have now lost three of their last five games. So the Mets have kind of squandered some opportunities here while the St. Louis Cardinals have won four straight against the Reds and the Mets to now take that half-game lead of that second and final NL wildcard spot over the Cincinnati Reds. So the Mets are now four games back of the wildcard, five and a half games back of the NL East top spot, that being occupied by the Atlanta Braves. And Ariel, I actually think the Mets have a better road to the playoffs through their own division than maybe the wild card because they end the year, their final series of the season, against the Atlanta Braves. If the Mets can maybe be within two, two and a half games, there might just be an outside shot. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it's going to happen. The Mets right now are 16-1 to 1 to win the NL East on the FanDuel Sportsbook, while the Braves are a minus 800 heavy odds on favorite, but that might be their best National League East wouldn't surprise me if any of the three teams ended up getting in. Now, there was a team that surprised me, surprised me yesterday, especially because of the starting pitcher that was on the mound for them. The Texas Rangers were close to 2-1 to one on the money line to beat the Houston Astros last night. It was Jordan Lyles getting the start for Texas, who had the highest ERA amongst qualified starters. He has like a near 6 ERA on the season. And last night against the Astros, seven innings pitched, Three hits allowed, zero runs, seven strikeouts. The Rangers get the 8-1 win at home against the Houston Astros, Ben. Ariel, there are three divisions still currently up on the FanDuel Sportsbook that have divisional odds left. The NL West between the Giants and the Dodgers, the NL East between the Braves, the Phillies and the Mets, and the American League West. The Texas Rangers are not a part of that board, but the Astros with a five-and-a-half game lead in that division, six-and-a-half game lead, excuse me, in that division, were a minus seven thousand favorite on the FanDuel Sportsbook to win the American League West. Why it's still up, I'm not entirely sure, but it is, and they are 70-1 to to win that division in the minus money category. Here's the thing about the Houston Astros, though, that I find a little bit peculiar. And again, we have talked about how the book has undervalued the San Francisco Giants in the National League. It's the way we feel about the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League, because the Rays are the best team in the AL. They have a five and a half game advantage over the second best team in the American League, the Houston Astros. Yet the Houston Astros are the favorite right now to win the AL pennant at plus 195. Stop undervaluing the Tampa Bay Rays. That's where my money is for the AL pennant futures market. But the Astros, even though they lost to the Rangers last night, will obviously be a part of this playoff picture, one of the top seeds in the American League. And right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook, the favorites to win the AL pennant at plus 195. Speaking of favorites, the Tampa Bay Rays are the favorites to win the American League East. However, out of nowhere, here comes the Toronto Blue Jays, who are fighting to hold on to a one spot in the American League wildcard race. The Toronto Blue Jays shut out the Tampa Bay Rays last night. 
or excuse me, the Rays shut out the Toronto Blue Jays last night, two to nothing. Uh, the way that it looked on the money line yesterday was plus 115 around where it closed, or plus 125. So in that range of plus 120, the Tampa Bay Rays on the money line as road dogs at Toronto. ESPN Stats and Info tweeted out that it's just the third time this season Toronto's been shut out, which is the fewest in Major League Baseball. The Blue Jays entered Tuesday's game uh, up, one game up on the Yankees and Red Sox in the wild card game. It's amazing to think, Ben, that Toronto has only been shut out three times this year. I, I just didn't even realize that as the season's been going on that I haven't seen the Rays get or the Jays get shut out. The Blue Jays are the second best offense in all of Major League Baseball this season. Still the second best offense since the All-Star break. The team that is the best offense in the majors right now, that would be the Tampa Bay Rays since the All-Star break. So two teams that probably have not been shut out a lot this Major League Baseball season. But it happened yesterday, and it was a time to stem the Toronto Blue Jays because they have been absolutely on fire. Entering yesterday's game against Tampa, the Blue Jays had won 15 of their last 17 games to storm back into the American League playoff picture and take that one-game lead for the top spot in the American League East. But now, now it gets very interesting. All of those three teams out of the AL East in the AL wildcard are now tied for those two spots in the AL wildcard, the Toronto Blue Jays, the New York Yankees, and the Boston Red Sox. So let's look at how the schedule set up the rest of the way for all three of those teams, all with relatively easy schedules. We'll start with Toronto because they have a weekend series coming up against the Minnesota Twins, another four-game set against the Twins, a team that is below 500, a huge disappointment this year in the American League Central. And then the Toronto Blue Jays finish with a series against the Baltimore Orioles. But the Blue Jays do have another series against the Rays, another series against the Yankees. Personally, I believe the pinstripes have the hardest schedule out of the three teams we are talking about here because they do have two more series against the Baltimore Orioles and a series against the Cleveland Indians this weekend. And then they go against Texas. The Texas Rangers were the worst team in the American League West right now, but they do have Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay to end off the season. Not easy for the New York Yankees in regard to those three divisional opponents. And then the Red Sox, two more series against the Baltimore Orioles. They end with the Washington Nationals. They also have a two-game set against the Mets, and they host the Yankees at home. So if you're asking me for my general opinion on who has the easiest stretch to hopefully securing one of those two American League wildcard spots, I think it might be the Boston Red Sox, although the Toronto Blue Jays are the hottest team right now for sure. Looking at the American League pennant race, you've got the Houston Astros with the shortest odds to win it at plus 195, the Tampa Bay Rays plus 270, the White Sox at plus 280, the Yankees plus 750, the Jays plus 950, and the Red Sox 12 to 1. The only other two teams on the board after that with the longest odds for the American League picture, Oakland at 100 to 1 and the Mariners at 130 to 1. Ben, it's amazing how much this race has really changed, especially thinking back to when the Boston Red Sox had the number one spot right around the All-Star break. The Red Sucks looks like one of the best teams in the American League, and it's just been a horrendous second half of the season. Where do you see the value in the American League right now? I mean, I still think you could look as crazy as this is going to sound at the New York Yankees at plus 750. I still think there's value on the Tampa Bay Rays because for some reason they don't have the shortest odds. They're plus 270, and I know the Astros might have a little bit more juice in their offensive lineup than the Tampa Bay Rays, but 
I still give the credit to Kevin Cash, one of the best managers in all of MLB, and the Tampa Bay Rays have certainly been in this position before. Of course, Blake Snell, no longer a member of that starting staff. Tyler Glass now is out for the year, but I still think the Tampa Bay Rays have enough, and at plus 270 with the second shortest odds, that's probably where the value lies right now in the American League pennant. If you wanted to look down the board, though, this Toronto Blue Jays team, Ariel, is incredibly exciting. They are young. They are fun. They are energetic. As Joe P. Sapia of the Sports Grid Network has said, they don't even know they're not supposed to be here at the moment. This is a team built for postseason runs for the next three to five years, not necessarily right now in the 2021 campaign yet. They have so much talent across that offensive lineup and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette. You can go up and down the Blue Jays lineup, and I really love their starting pitching rotation as well. Robbie Ray on the bump today against the Tampa Bay Rays. Hunjin Ryu, the Wiley veteran in there. Alec Manoa, the young stud who just pitched a great game against Tampa on Monday night. I think the Toronto Blue Jays at plus 950 might be worth the sprinkle, if anything, just to have some fun betting on one of the most fun teams in all of Major League Baseball. It's all about getting hot at the right time, right? Toronto, the hottest team in baseball, I would say. At least they're the most fun to watch. If I really wanted to put a dagger in the Yankees season, I would bet them right now to win the World Series just because at the rate I'm going, my teams are just falling apart. My teams and my bets, too, also in the last 24 hours. Oh, what a bad luck of 24 hours it's been. It's hump day, and we're going to get over the hump. There is one team that I love to point out all the time on the run line, and that's the Colorado Rockies. Yesterday, the Rockies were road underdogs at the Atlanta Braves, and they get the 5-4 win. If you took the plus 1.5, it was only minus 145, and also on the money line, plus 135. Ben, I love this because this graphic, in case anyone's watching, it says win in Atlanta, and the Rockies tweet out, Rockies win, but it's in the Waffle, it's in the waffle House letters. I love this. I thought this was a great tweet for a win last night. A dagger on top of a victory in Atlanta. The Braves hosting the Rockies yesterday. The Rockies have the third worst road record in all of Major League Baseball, yet get a big win in the A. The Braves, though, still the favorites to win the National League East at minus 800 currently on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Oh, yeah. They're heavy favorites currently, Atlanta. Coming up next, we're going to switch over to the NFL again. We're going to talk about Thursday night football, and it's going to be the New York Giants reporter, Madeline Burke, who's going to join the show to give us the inside scoop out there for Big Blue. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. On the morning after on Sports Grid, it is Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein joining us now, and I love having her on because I love getting the inside scoop. It's the Giants reporter, Madeline Burke. Madeline, the Giants coming off of a loss 27-13, week one at home against the Denver Broncos. What was it about this Giants team that couldn't score more than two touchdowns? I mean, you know, that second one, I'm almost not even counting, right? Because Broncos were in prevent defense, and it was just that last-minute running out the clock type of a situation. But it was a little bit tricky. You know, they couldn't get the offense going. Saquon Barkley was back, which Giants fans love to see. But, you know, we've seen this before. He breaks off a couple short runs but couldn't get into space, couldn't find that breakaway green grass, let's get it going. 
Um, his, you know, 10 runs for 26 yards, his longest one was a five-yard gain. Daniel Jones had the longest run of the game with an eight-yard run. So that's got to be addressed in week two, and I think this whole unit knows it. Uh, Nick Gates, the center, was talking about this earlier. He said, you know what, our pass protection was better. We've got a lot of things going, but we really – have to score points. And again, the red zone is a point of issue for this Giants team, which we've seen uh, last year as well. The red zone just unable to convert there. But some of it too, I mean, this is the first time we've seen Daniel Jones on the field with Kenny Galladay, with Kyle Rudolph, uh, with Saquon Barkley since week two of last year. So as much as, you know, the preseason, uh, they didn't really get a lot of work together because of injuries and because of this team evaluating what the roster had. Uh, so I think week one was a little bit of kind of feeling it out, and I expect week two to be a bit different. I mean, for a player on a short week, you want nothing less than to just get back on the field after a loss like that and do it over and, and get a win or do it right this time. So, Madeline, not exactly the most prolific offensive performance out of the Giants or Saquon Barkley, but it's understandable. It's his first game back since tearing that ACL early last season. He talked about after the game how that explosiveness for him, he feels, is still there. What did you see out of Saquon and what do you hope to see here now in week two? You're right. I mean, he mentioned that and he he went doubled down on that the other day saying, you know what, it's not a problem. I don't think that there's an issue with my explosiveness. Again, it was just about getting those windows and finding uh, that space and, you know, getting the right blocking and the right uh, – the right room for for breaking away because we've seen games in the past you know where Saquon will break off a yard here a yard there two yards there and then all of a sudden he goes for 68 yards and is like gone um so it's just about right finding that right opportunity but he does feel good and he did admit it you know it's not ideal schedule wise coming off an ACL injury to play two games in five days but he said you know what this is a challenge in front of me this is what I'm gonna do and I feel good, he said, considering, you know, he took some hits. He got used to it. He was on the field quite a bit, uh, a lot as a decoy, only had 11 touches, 10 runs, and one catch in the game on Sunday. Um, but I do think that he's starting to, you know, regain that confidence in his body, and he's refusing to use the knee as a crutch for his performance. He says, you know what, this is more than that. I just need to get out there, and I need to, I need to break it out. Saquon Barkley is a player that the Giants are hopeful can give them more than just the one and a half games from last year and be explosive the way that they thought he would be as a first round pick. However, there is another player that's new to this Giants team. The Giants going after a number one wide receiver in the offseason, Kenny Galladay. Galladay, four receptions, 64 yards. How much could you see Galladay still being hindered by that hamstring injury he suffered early in training camp? I think, you know, the hamstring is, is always a tricky one to come back from, right? I mean, that one can sneak up on you whether or not you're ready to get back on the field. But I don't think it was necessarily the hamstring as much as it was just that game chemistry with the quarterback. And I think they were working on that. We saw some big catches down the stretch as he was getting in there um, once the game was kind of out of reach. But Kenny spoke earlier this week, too, and was saying, you know, this is an explosive offense. This is an offense that has the potential to be an explosive offense. We have a lot of playmakers on this team. We just have to get it right. And he's very confident. There was no wavering in his answers about how, yeah, no, this team has absolutely got a good offense. We just have to put it out there and, and perform. And week one, they know they didn't perform. But I, I don't think that there's any doubt in at least Kenny Galladay's mind. And, you know, when asked, hey, does the rest of the offense agree? He said, definitely that this is, a, is an offense with a lot of potential. 
Madeline, last week in week number one, the total for the Broncos and the Giants was 41 and a half. It was the smallest number of the entire week one slate. The defense is what the Giants might be able to rely on until that offense really starts to gear up a little bit. What did you see out of the defensive side of the ball for the Giants on Sunday against Denver? You know, coming into the season, defensive coordinator Patrick Graham was talking about how the question he had around his unit was the run defense. After losing Dalvin Tomlinson in free agency to the Vikings, he was curious, you know, how is this run defense going to translate without him? Uh, the run defense, though, uh, removing that 70-yard Melvin Gordon run, that 70-yard touchdown they had, was pretty was pretty sufficient. Uh, they needed to get a little bit more pass protection or, or pass pressure, sorry pass rush on Teddy Bridgewater because there was a lot there. Um, and I think that that's going to be something that's going to, you know, come with week two as well. Um, you saw Jabril Peppers getting a lot of work in the box. He was a little closer to the line and Xavier McKinney getting a lot of work back out, uh, back deep. And I think they're trying to get McKinney involved more after last year dealing with that injury that he had. Um, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I think that this entire defense, too. I mean, James Bradbury talked yesterday and said, I didn't even perform as good as I want to. And he owned that. And he said, I'm going to go back. And he's a guy who really drills in on tape. He watches tape nonstop. Um, and so, you know what? Really got to focus on that third down and that red zone and just kind of shore those things up because they gave him too many opportunities. I mean, three for three on fourth down, including – a seven yard fourth and seven in the first quarter from Broncos, and they converted on that. And you know, that's an analytics thing, too, saying, well, if you go for it on fourth down as opposed to punting, you have a higher probability. And you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But I think James Bradbury realized, you know, we do have to go hone in, especially on those late down situations and on the red zone. Let's dive into week two. Madeline Burke, Giants reporter, joining us. The New York Giants on the road at the Washington football team for their second game of the season. As you've been around practice, what has the message been from the coach, Joe Judge, to his team? It's a new week, right? On to Washington, as some might say. Um, but the interesting thing is the Giants, you know, if we don't really do the path and the history and all that, but the Giants have won the last five games against Washington. Daniel Jones, in his eight wins as a starter, Four of them have come against the Washington football team. So if Ooh. there's one net right game for Daniel Jones, this might be it, right? I mean, and he did talk about it, though. He was asked about it the other day and said, I mean, every game is a new game and every week is a new week and every team, you know, the carryover, he doesn't really believe in. But, you know, for those of you who are superstitious or who believe in trends, the fact that this man has had some success against the Washington football team got to get you feeling optimistic, right? <laughs> Madeline, like week number one, this total, 40 and a half, the smallest total on the board for the entire week two NFL slate. It is the first short week Thursday night football game. Do you expect we can see maybe a little bit of a sluggish game between the football team and the Giants this upcoming Thursday? I don't – yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I, my expectations for week one were way off for what we saw. So I'm the worst person to ask for this one. But I think for week two – uh, you know, it's interesting, too, to see Washington's defense. They only got seven pressures on Justin Herbert, which is pretty low, right, especially considering uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat over there. And I, I would anticipate those guys are going to be trying to ratchet it up a little bit. The Giants' offensive line uh, – wasn't as much of an issue as I think a lot of Giants fans would have thought it would be. Uh, Shane Lemieux obviously got pulled out earlier. Ben Bredesen got a lot of looks in there, and he's only been on the team for like a week. So that's going to be a matchup to watch uh, how well the Giants' offensive line pass protects again, especially on the inside. 
Um, and T Taylor Heineke, and he can sling it. We saw him go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Tom Brady in the playoffs last year. This young man is nothing to sleep on. I don't know why so many people passed on Taylor Heineke and did not give him the, the opportunities, but he's going to be something that gives this Giants team, this Giants defense, a look as well. Um, but I do think that this is going to be a get-right game for the Giants. I think they need it to be. I think they're focused on it being... And, again, coming off a loss like they did in week one, they are eager to get back out onto the field and turn things around. This NFC East division last year, speaking of turning things around, Madeline, every team seemed to have turned it around week by week. It was a new team that took the lead of this division every single week. After week one, how much do you see the Giants being competitive in this division? It's so interesting, right? Because we have, you know, you look at week one. I mean, look at what the Packers did in week one, for example. Is that who the Packers are going to be this year? Is that who Aaron Rodgers is now? I think a lot of people are shaking their heads like, no, of course not. That was a bad game. And so I think we have a couple weeks to decide whether this is who the Giants are this year or if that was a bad game. I think a lot of teams around the league have had bad games. Half the league is now sitting at 0-1. And are they going to be abysmal seasons? Are they going to be disasters? I think it's going to take a larger sample size to realize what this team is going to look like. Or, you know what, were they just slow to come out the gate this season? Were they just not quite on the same page yet and not quite ready for week one? And do they still have a couple building blocks? I mean, even Joe Judge said, you know what, September football is still kind of assimilating, still kind of building together. And and nobody's looking – you don't want to peak too soon. You know, you can't be peaking in September and then the wheels falling off in December. If I had a pick, I'd have the wheels falling off in September and then peaking in December. The Giants now, Madeline, the longest odds to win the NFC East at 5-1. to one. The Washington football team plus 350, tied with the Philadelphia Eagles at plus 340, I should say, and the Dallas Cowboys, the favorites, at plus 115. This is a very interesting game as well for Washington. It is their only divisional game until the month of December when they finish the season with five straight games against the NFC East. So as we it's break terrible. down the matchup for tomorrow – what is a key adjustment you're looking for the Giants to make against the Washington football team? Whew, man, I mean, I think there's going to be a few, but I think that getting the run game going is going to be important. I think being able to get those blocks set and getting Saquon in space, maybe especially getting him more involved in the passing game. Again, he had one catch. So if we get him going on a wheel route and give him room to break out a run, get some yak there, I think Sterling Shepard was incredible for the Giants this year. Single digit Sterling Shepard just hits different, and I am here for it. <laughs> Uh, he was the star of the Giants' offense. And I, I think also getting uh, that red zone. The red zone is really something because if you're getting down there and you're in position, you got to get points on the board. And I think that is the biggest issue for this Giants team is you're getting close but not. And almost is one of the worst words in English, right? You're almost there. You almost scored. You almost won. Nobody wants to almost anything. You just want to do it. And so I think the Giants need to be able to convert, to punch it in, in the red zone. Um, you know, earlier this week, Joe Judge said he's hopeful that Evan Ingram might be back, might be available. He's doing a lot of work for uh, he's really liking what he's seeing in his rehab, whether or not that's the case. Again, on a short week with that calf injury, we'll see. But hopeful is a good place to be uh, getting some more tools back, getting some more chemistry built. And again, just finishing those drives is the biggest thing for the Giants this week. Madeline, just a minute left. Where can people find your content and what you're doing for game days for the Giants? 
Absolutely. I'll be hosting Giants post game live on MSG Networks immediately after the games. We've got a lot of content on Giants.com, on social media. Uh, you can follow me at Madeline Burke. You can follow the Giants. You can follow all of it. Uh, you know, the World Wide Web. It's worldwide. <laughs> You don't even need to go to the Met Gala. You could just follow her on Instagram, and it's pretty much the same thing. Madeline Berg, thank you so much for coming on with us, and enjoy the game tomorrow night. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, we're going to close out hour number one with our Fade the Public poll. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We've got you covered until noon Eastern time on the grid, giving you the edge 24-7. Make sure to stay right here, and we'll be right back on SiriusXM, Channel 204, and all of our streaming services on the Sports Grid Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out the first hour of the morning after on Sports Grid, it is Sirius XM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Let's get to our poll. It's time for Fade the Public. I have to be honest, I definitely left one team out on this poll that I should have included, and it was the Detroit Lions. However, you only get four options to choose from on Twitter. So the question is, who's going to have the worst regular season in the NFL? The Jaguars, the Texans, the Jets, or other. The public spoke, and it didn't even matter if the Lions were on this list because the public believes it's the Jaguars, and it wasn't even close. Ben, are you fading the public? It's so interesting to me, Ariel, that a good majority of this poll is going for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I am slightly disappointed in the public because Ariel and I have been on the Jaguars are going to stink and fade Urban Meyer at all costs since the early portion of this summer. In fact, I wish you listened to the show back then, public, and hopefully you did, when we said the under of the four and a half team win total for the Jags at plus 240 because by that poll voting, you are indicating the Jacksonville Jaguars are most likely going to go under those four wins let's not forget entering last week before that game between houston and jacksonville the texans had the smallest team win total on the fanduel sportsbook with just four wins they were the favorites or the non-favorites depending on how you want to think about it to have the worst nfl record at two to one but now Houston beats Jacksonville, and the Jags are going to stink. We've been saying the Jags are going to stink all along. Urban Meyer is the next head football coach with the USC Trojans. It's not going to work in Jacksonville, that's for sure. <laughs> I love how we said that yesterday with Connor O'Gara, and he just laughed at us and said, no, it's not happening. We said, well, he's not making it more than like five games in the NFL. Urban Meyer is going to crash and burn and leave the league. Okay, we're talking way too much about the Jaguars stinking. We've got to talk about them being good so the under actually hits on the win total. I have a feeling we're sure. going to keep talking about how bad the Jaguars are going to be, and we keep jinxing it. Bottom line is the Houston Texans had the shortest odds to be the worst team in football this year, and now the Jacksonville Jaguars looking worse than them after week one's performance. Coming up next, it's hour two of the show. It's the hour of chaos. We've got PGA talk with Cam Rogers. We're going to talk a lot of college football and some more news from around the NFL. Stay on the grid. 
how to spot a sports gaming winner. They listen to us. Don't rely.